everybody, welcome back to the Overrun Podcast. My name is Ed Bowder. I'm Dan Schwester. And coming back to the show, we have the Vice President of uh, New York City Local 2507, Mike Greco, uh, because we want to talk about what's going on in New York. So welcome back, Mike. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me here again. We're, we're thrilled to have you back. Um, we do want to dive right into it because this is a kind of fresh story. Um, there's been some reports about uh, more problems between FDNY, EMS, and the city of New York. So we're going to start with some of the more contemporary stories. And then um, we talked again, uh, or we talked previously, as I said, in 2019. Um, and we're going to kind of cover some of the stuff and see what's changed since then. So FDNY, EMS has been in the news once again. Um, we would want them to be there for, for better reasons, I guess. But um, go over just for our listeners some of the stuff that's gone on just in the past month or two. And then we'll kind of start to break those things down a little bit. All right. Well, uh, what led to probably us having a conversation now recently is the uh, the fact that we're under scrutiny for some of our out of service times, um, and that is code for our our bathroom breaks. So when um, we have to go to the bathroom, we don't get lunch breaks, dinner breaks, uh, breaks at all. Not a five minute break, not a ten minute break. So if you're working twelve hours, if you're working eight hours, if you're mandated overtime to sixteen hours, there is no dedicated break. Um, so when we have to use a bathroom, there's a code we use. Uh, it's called 10100. And we're technically available. Um, and then if we get a job while we are using that facility, we're supposed to go over the radio and say unavailable for assignment. So apparently, according to the uh, brain surgeons on the higher up level of uh, FDNY EMS command, those levels have gotten too high. So they want to crack down and make sure that people are out of service or refusing jobs while they're in, while they're just in the bathroom and not anywhere else. So it's led to an overall investigation of every out of service, which means every time you have to go over the air and say you're unavailable, they want statements or they want an investigation done. That leads to somebody having to actually say on a piece of paper, why did you refuse? I was using the bathroom. Wait, Mike, you've got about 4,300 employees from what I saw from uh, some of my looking on the internet. You mean to tell me that every time one of your members has to go to the bathroom, somebody's got to write a report about it? Basically, yes. Somebody has to account for my poo. <laughs> I, it staggers me. That this is that that people in your in your department actually have time for this, because it, didn't you do like one point one million calls last year? Uh, thanks for underselling us. Um, I think <laughs> I think it was around one one point four, uh, and that was during a pandemic. So uh, we, we we yeah we we do well we'll call it well over a million calls a year um, with Fair no enough. breaks and. I'm going to put it simply, I, I, I'm a 43-year-old man. Um, I should be able to go to the bathroom without having to explain myself why. And I'm a man. I, I, I don't even, we're going to get into it. The female perspective of this is, is just beyond insulting. And that's what actually led to, I'm sure you'll be referencing the uh, memo I sent out to my members. Um the so just, just jump in real quick, just to jump in real quick, Mike, just for the listeners. So as a reference point, the 1.4 million calls per year, that's about 300 uh, per day, just for if, if you're looking just at the day to day volume that FDNY EMS does. Um, 
know, and that's, those are just on averages. So one of the, and when we talked off air, Mike, I, I love the flex of the memo that you put out. Um, so <laughs> FDNY, uh, the, the EMS department, they asked for proof of your out of service or for the reason that you're out of service. Um, so talk about your memo for a little bit and talk about if that's actually, that sounds had, like, that sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> well, that's, when, when you read the memo, the, the best part about the memo is just the swagger that Mike put behind it. Cause he was like, I don't care. Prove it. Go ahead. Right. So the flex that I guess you're referring to is the uh, simple fact of what is evidence. Um, if you're going to ask me to write a statement, um, that is the beginning of an investigation. So if, if you want to know why I was out of service and you're asking me to write down an official account for that, you're basically investigating why I was out of service. So my suggestion was very simple. Um, if they plan on starting an investigation, you should be prepared to defend yourself in any alleged investigation by having evidence. The best way to, to defend yourself is having a time date and a time stamp of when you were out of service. Um, so I instructed the membership to create photographic evidence of when they were out of service. Now, I had my intention. The department seems to believe I meant something completely different. And, and I think that's insulting. Um, I just, I, I, I was very clear in what I meant. No, and what you're asking was, if this is, if this is the claim that's being made, then there has to be something to back it up. So if you're out of service, it, it was a reasonable request um, for, for certainly from the worker's side. Um, have you gotten any, any response from that at all, either from the administration or from your staff? Um, well, my staff and uh, my uh, my members have been very, very good. Um, so far, they haven't been asked for any of their photographic evidence, so they haven't had to supply it to any supervisor. Um, I was very clear that I wanted, if you took a, a bathroom break at McDonald's, you should take a picture of the McDonald's bathroom door with a timestamp. Well, they... Um, meaning the, the, the command had to put out emails for multiple days stating that uh, any inappropriate pictures of urine and feces uh, should not be tolerated by supervisors and they should send that picture immediately up to the Bureau's Investigative Trials, which is our version of uh, IAB, and for formal discipline to be placed on any member to provide uh, inappropriate pictures. So when I saw that they were gonna be cracking down or disciplining for any inappropriate pictures, I inform my members that um, on your statement to just simply write, I was in the bathroom and I have evidence if requested. So this way it would force a supervisor to, to then say, well, what evidence do you have? Can you show me? Then somebody would now actually be asking you to show them and considering there's no such thing as a technically an ask. So if a supervisor, they don't ask to see a picture, it's technically an order according to the fire department. So if I can get the supervisors to order a member to show a picture of their evidence, um, that would only make me uh, quite happy. <laughs> I just, you're just looking for the one. I did, I did, for me, I just, I want the one story because I want to, I want to be able to hear about it, you know, in, in a magazine somewhere, be like there was one guy or one, well, or one girl. I'm looking for the I'm looking for the 25 year vet, um, the one who, uh, you know, has his papers in and he's ready. Um, I have a feeling that guy's evidence is going to be much different than the two year employee. Well, and um, like we, you, you always hear people joke about, like, what would you do on your last day? 
And that's, <laughs> yes. that's one of those ones. <laughs> The, the guy on the last day should be a little bit more creative than the uh, person who's just trying to do their job. And that's what it boils down to, really. Right. Um, you know, like you said, you brought the numbers, 4,000 jobs a day. Uh, and that's that's an average today. We have record heat temperatures. Yeah. There's And we're sitting on corners. There's no uh, resuscitation units. There's nobody coming by to bring our members waters on long jobs. So right. so they're all left to their own devices. Um, oh, but wait, Mike. Water, you got to go ahead. I, you know, that's, that's funny because I seem to reckon, remember reading about the FDNY is that in situations like this, the fire department has specific units that come out for rehabilitation. Yeah. That's called are the those, rack unit. Are those not available to EMS personnel? Only if you're on a fire. Oh, they don't come. If I'm on an extended job with, um, you know, hypothetically speaking, let's say we have a long extrication for uh, an obese patient, uh, let's say, uh, or 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 an injury. I don't know if you anybody who has been in EMS. Um, there is a, a habit that happens in a in a, funny. We're talking about bathrooms, but um, when somebody falls or injures themselves in a bathroom, they always seem to fall right between the toilet and the tub. It's a vortex. Um, it's where it's gra yes. gravity is stronger there. Yeah. Gravity. Uh, there's a weight to size ratio. Um, the, the bigger the person, the smaller the space and the, Murphy's the, the, law, the yeah. vortex, the, the TARDIS effect, as I like to call it, um, manages to get in there. And you, you wouldn't think somebody that size can fit in that space. And you, and you got to get them out. So that takes time. And, and, and a day we, like this, we actually no have a we have a rookie on. EMT on on the team that that does a blog for us. And she says the same thing. She came back from her first few calls. She said, why are they always there? Why is it always 3 a.m.? Why do they always have no clothes on? Yeah. And we're like, because it's what it and is. And that's the beauty of EMS. Um, you know, if there's no elevator, the size of the person compared to the floor they're on is always, there's an inverse proportion. The skinny person's on the first floor. The bigger person's sure, on, person the on the top 14th. floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the carry downs. So that's just the EMS in general. But that's as twisted as we all are in EMS, that's, that's the joy. That's, that's the, the good stories. That's just right. how we go through our day with these sort of stories. Well, I think the, we the important stuff that, that you and I have discussed previously is, and it, it, I think this applies to all EMS organizations, which, you know, it, it, when we talk to people who run big cities, we do it because, you know, we want people in, you know, suburban and rural EMS to understand that these problems are ubiquitous, right? There's always, no matter if you're, you know, an EMT, a paramedic, you know, even doing SCT or critical care transport, wherever you end up, most projects fall in, and they have the kind of the same nonsense and the same problems. So the idea is like, you know, if everyone has these big problems, there's got to be ways to fix them, right? Which is, it's interesting just to see kind of like the parallels between, you know, one of the largest EMS organizations in the country and private EMS organizations in the suburbs. It's the same kind of debate. Um, but I, tagging back to our, our conversation from a couple of years ago, um, you had mentioned that the this bathroom thing is a problem for female EMTs specifically. Um, and I know that there have been, there have been problems with, with staffing overall. So if... If there's items since 2019 that haven't gotten better, and I know that there's a whole legal thing that you guys are discussing, first talk about the the catalyst for this most recent thing, which was I, I know you had female EMTs who ran into some issues, um, and then let's see if we can tie it back to some of the stuff we talked about a couple of years ago, just about improving you know workforce, improving the environment, and things like that. Yeah, and uh, I actually think we can tie it. Um, 
how we get there might be a little interesting, but but there there is actually a correlation. Um, what got me to my most recent memo was um, I had a female member who was mortified uh, that she had to um, explain why she went out of service twice and refused the job. She was having a a monthly cycle that was just not a good time for her, and the simple fact of being asked why did you refuse that job when the world knew she was on a hundred meaning she was using the bathroom so then have to explain and apparently the according to her the the supervisor was a little less than sympathetic so it just put her in a really bad place to the point where she was crying on the phone with me that this shouldn't be done um naturally she didn't want to make it a big deal um as far as putting her name out there amongst anything but that sent me into a tizzy which um anybody who knows anything about me, I have a pretty long fuse um, un until it actually blows up. And then you get letters like that, or, or I, I start to really go. So it was more or less a parody back to the department of the absurdity of, of the way they're going about these policies. Right. And um, just, and just so we're clear, like I, we're not talking about this to, to try and put the, the EMT, you know, to try and put her out there. This is a story that happened. And the, the out of service stuff, again, it's, that's a ubiquitous thing. Everyone wants people to come back in service. You know, you have seven minutes from arrival to whatever else. Right. And I want people in, in service too. I want people, I don't, I don't think as an EMT or paramedic, we should refuse a job. That means somebody's calling 911. I feel the system has put our members in that where they have to say they're in a, instead of giving us that signal as a complete out of service so what happens is i'm still in service i i tell you i basically need to use the bathroom you keep me available then call me a minute later and say are you available and i'm now forced to say negative central i can't handle so that minute and a half or or even if it's a 30 second exchange of finding if i'm available or not you've delayed patient care anyway so if you just took me out of the loop for 10 minutes a day, um, that is actually better patient care. Uh, that is how something like that should go in a civilized society. And to tie it up, that's the problem sometimes with EMS, whether it's locally or whether it's nationally, it's a for-profit service. Um, if it's a municipality like the FDNY or, or the city, there is a reimbursement rate. So our budget is offset by give or take whatever Medicaid or whatever. If you're a for-profit ambulance company, everything is, is based off of profit. A firefighting uh, engine company, whether it's FDNY or rural, they're not sending out bills. PD is not sending out bills. So, and, and they have a monopoly on what they do. It is the town or the municipality, or it's the responsibility of the government to provide those services. If we took on EMS as a true third service, um, as an essential service, as something that the municipality should and is obligated to provide at no cost, meaning no charge to the citizens, not at a cost, your taxes should do it. That might make the whole job in general around the country a little bit more prestigious, um, a little bit more, you might get the for profits out and that might change a, a, a whole nature of what EMS is looked at. Right now, it's such a hodgepodge of a thousand things, um, whether it's a volunteer ambulance corps uh, in the middle of nowhere, a volunteer ambulance corps on the middle of Long Island, or a paid uh, senior care or AMR, or a municipality that runs a dual fire medic 
we have so many levels and so many we don't even know what to call ourselves. We're in such like an infancy. If you're a medic and you hear EMT, you you want to flip out and correct that I'm a medic. If uh, if you're an EMT and you hear medic, well, you know, whether you want to correct or leave it alone, God forbid they call you an ambulance driver. The most um, insulting thing someone in EMS can be called. Exactly. And then <laughs> what about EMS worker? Some right. people find, you know, we, we have an identity crisis to, to begin with. So we have to first figure sure out we do. how we want to be. Mike, I want to I want to touch on something here is, you know, we're talking about these bathroom breaks and the micromanagement that you're going over. It's all to keep units in service to respond to this enormously high amount of calls. Can you just for the listeners, for people who aren't familiar with FDNY, I mean, we're about an hour away from you down down the shore. Um, this is a system problem. This is too many calls in a system that doesn't have enough ambulances to handle it um, to the point where you actually have to hire in other like hospitals to to augment your your department. Um, this sounds like this is a management thing. This is a this is a bean counter thing to maximize or to minimize it, uh, the cost so that they can just say they have an EMS service, but not put the money into it and certainly not put the money into the people. Um, so I, I'm really interested in hearing like, how often are you guys are at level zero? How many times a day do you guys have no units to respond into an area? Well, because we are so large, I, I don't think it's that often that we get to zero, you know, where, so where there's no units to respond because we have a, an ALS BLS system where, if ALS is not available, there's plenty of times where ALS is not available. And so they just send BLS. We have those trucks. Um, and we send from all over the city. So while my response time to that abdominal pain might be 25 minutes, we do have an ambulance coming. Um, so that's the benefit of a large uh, uh, municipality like like New York. We, we very rarely get into the holy crap level of a 911 call comes in and then there's so many calls. Some can just hold, um, you know, you're, you're for us. I don't know how you work your segments, but the lower number is the higher priority. The higher number is the low is, is the lower priority. So for us, an emotionally disturbed or, or excited delirium is what we call segment seven that can stay on hold for two, three hours. Uh, an abdominal pain can stay held while your, your cardiac arrests are, are being, being dispatched. So we do have a significant problem with those calls being held. And if they ever did a full, um, you know, what is an average response time of all calls during a busy time, that, that, that would be a problem. Um, but it can be fixed, but you said it, it's a beam counter. You have to throw money at the problem. Um, Making this a service that people want to stay at because they're they're paid financially well, like our counterparts, PD and fire. So if you if you pay us accordingly, now we don't have a turnover rate. Uh, I don't know how it is down by you, but our our members leave for every other job under the sun. We just had a lieutenant leave to go to fire. I got a 15-year medic going to sanitation. Um it's basically starting over in a career because in four years, he's going to blow past what his salary is. Um, our average workforce is three years as an EMT. 
Um, so that's, we have about 3000 EMTs floating around and that, that means over 50% of them have less than three years experience. The turnover rate and the, and, and the attrition is, is absolutely horrible. Right. So it, it, is that, as far as educating the public is concerned, is there, do, do you think there would be, let's say, I don't want to say like a quick way, um, to educate people the difference between EMT and paramedic, but do you, is that going to be more of a, a, I guess, public awareness campaign? Is that something that we can do? If you're, when you're looking at, you know, a large city like Manhattan, because again, I, I want people to try to be able to extrapolate this into a, a smaller population, you know, how do you get that message across? We're like, no, we're, we're here to, to do good things. Your tax money is going toward a, an important service. How do you get that message out? I mean, unless you have the help of the government to do that, um, I, I don't think it's possible to educate the public um, in, in that sort of level that you're talking about. I, I think the problem is so big and the public in and of themselves, as a person, we are self-centered in, in general, right? That's just what a human being sure, right. is. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, that building collapses in Florida. Um, more people in America know what the Kardashians did last week then they probably know the numbers of who died in that uh, building collapse. Mm -hmm. So if it's not personally relevant to you, um, it's tough to educate. It. And we deal in death and, mort and, and mortality. Yeah. People don't like to face that. You know, that's, that's right. And that's, I, it's hard to talk to the public about like the yucky stuff. You right. know, which, which is interesting because people want to know, you know, oh, what's the worst thing you've seen, right? That's no, the they don't. Question. No, they, no, no don't. They, they don't actually want to know it, right. but they, they like to ask it. They love the question. And, and then when and you I give them the answer, they're like, them. I don't like that at well, all. Well, I always correct them. I say, you're asking the wrong question. You think you want to know what's the worst yeah. thing I've ever seen. You want to know the funniest thing I've ever or, seen. Or, the, or like the coolest, like, you know, right. oh, I had a jet ski crash into a car, like no, that kind of stuff. Nobody yeah. wants to hear about a two-year-old that was killed by their parents. Right, exactly. Yeah, no one wants to know. You know yeah, like they don't want the gory every stuff. Every single right. one of us that sticks in our brain that story, and and that is if children are always the worst, right? Like, of course, that yeah. is the worst thing you can see. But that's not funny. Oh, don't tell no, me they, that. They, no yeah. one wants to hear that. That's not they an want, uplifting story, right? Yeah. What do they want to hear? They want to hear yeah. the gerbil. They yep. want to hear a butthole. Right. That, exactly. that, that's the story they want to hear. Let's, yeah, let, exactly. let's be honest. Yeah, we want to, we want to hear about the old people that, that had an MI like well after they right. took Viagra. The, that the kind of 95-year-old yeah. man who watched his 94-year-old wife who've been together for 75 years die and now he's all alone. Yeah. Do, do you think people want to hear that? That's terrible. Right. It's not that's the real the, thing. It's oh not my it's, God, that, it, that hurts my heart every time I think about it. Right. That's the not what like, they want to hear. Like the movie Up is an adorable film, but it's not what actually happens in reality. Yes. The woman who took her birth control pill the wrong hole for for a year. That's yeah. the story they want. Right, exactly. Yeah. No, you had no, it's it's an oral pill. Like it's a what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right. So let's let's talk about some of the uh some of the retention and uh some of the attrition stuff that uh, that you were talking about. Dan, I know you had a bunch of questions for that. Yeah, actually, Mike, I, I did want to get to that. Um I you know, going through some of the research and some of the pre-show and uh Anna's you know, feel free to jump in on this. I've noticed that uh, FDNY EMS is significantly more diverse than the fire department. Uh, you have about 10 times the amount of female clinicians that FDNY has in the firefighter ranks. Um, you're also more diverse uh, significantly. Do you think that that has something to do with it? 
do you think that there's a second class citizen type thing going on in FDNY that you're either a firefighter or you're not? And I know you guys can promote to firefighter, which honestly to me is kind of kind of crappy sounding, but you have a significant amount of uh, your your membership is, you know, female, significant percentages, people of color. How do you think that makes them feel? Being somebody who's not of color, um, I I don't know how it would make somebody of color feel, but 25 years ago plus, this service was absorbed by the FDNY. Um, and at that time, we were a highly diverse service uh, under HHC. We the, the female population was still around 30, 35%. And at this point, there, there couldn't have been more than 50 females in the entire fire department. So there is a 100% feeling that we were absorbed to help the diversity numbers of the FDNY. Uh, that is, to us, a, a, a provable fact, which we are in the middle of litigation over. Um, yeah, I just just to point out for the listeners, um, and I got this from New York City's uh, website, uh, af- actually the FDNY budget, which is public, uh, first quarter of fiscal 2020 uh, for the fire department, 10,996 male uniform staff, only 118 female uniform staff. Um, as of January 31st of fiscal 2020, EMS had 3,091 males, 1,183 females. So that's a significant percentage. You have a much more diverse and a much more representative population of the city than the fire department. Right. So we've, we're basically accusing um, the FDNY of utilizing EMS as a farm team. Um, that if you have a service that's tremendously underpaid and undervalued and understaffed, when you put up these promotional, and I'm glad you recognize the insulting nature of the term promotion, uh, especially as a paramedic. Look, I, I, I have these conversations. And I know it makes it seem like I'm, I'm crapping on the, the profession of a firefighter. I'm not. Um, you know, it's a highly valuable uh, uh, service, just like PD. We're just fighting for our own understanding in that equalness of the three first responder agencies. So, yeah, that's that's not my intent here. My right, I'm, not, I don't dispar- think it is. I'm not disparaging the, the fire, the fire department or the firefighting service. Not at all. What I'm saying is you're definitely not equal to them. If you've got Correct. paramedics who a 15 year paramedic who is leaving the department to go to sanitation to drive a garbage truck. All kidding aside, that's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem even when we promote to firefighter because what you're saying is to be a paramedic, anybody who is in the uh, service understands the level of training and the schooling and, and what it takes to, to be a paramedic. Um, so what they want you to do is give up that certification, give up all that time um, and, and not use it anymore to go become a firefighter at a $30,000, $40,000 increase to your salary. It just, it, it doesn't make sense as far as educational. And, and, no, it, it doesn't at all. And if you look at the, the other thing that I noticed is from FDNY, the joint FDNY site, I think honestly, the, the qualifications to join the EMS Bureau is a heck of a lot more than to be a firefighter. Yeah, it's, I, and I, I couldn't agree more. We Our argument is you can equate the entry-level position of a firefighter versus the entry-level position of an EMT. 
right? There's at least justifiable understanding. The training time it would take to create a firefighter versus the training time it would take to create an EMT. Um, one might be a little bit more cerebral than the other. Uh, the other might be a little more physically uh, exhausting than the other. But sure, the, the science of firefighting versus the, the medical science of pre-hospital care, there's a correlation there. Uh, the, the training is about the same amount of time, especially if you go to FDNY. So, and they're both entry level positions. You, you you get into the fire department as an EMT, you get into a fire department as a firefighter. So you can make that equation for parity just right there. Paramedic is on its own other level. Um, in some places, that's an associate's degree level work. That is, you know, it's advanced. So your level of training, which takes under the, the fire department's program, it's nine months. And that's a quick turnaround because they take wow. you off the street and they put you to 40 hour weeks of schooling and rotation. So that's your job when you go to the FDNY's Academy to become a, a, when they promote you to a paramedic, your job is to go to school, to get all your rotations in. And with all of that, it, it takes nine months. So I imagine, I know there's programs out there that are two years, um, because you have to do your normal work, you have to do your normal job and still go to school. Um, so we tell people the nine month turnaround. And um, I believe I'm looking at Anna's face right now when she's saying like, that's kind of, I think she saw that as a surprise, like nine months is, is, is a quick turnaround time. It's insane. Um, yeah, but you can understand that when somebody tells you don't go to work anymore, you show up at eight o'clock in the morning, um, you learn, you go to school at four o'clock, you're done. And we're going to set you up for all your rotations. We have deals with hospitals. We have deals with, uh, you know, we're going to put you on ambulance rotations. We got you. That still takes nine months. How does that work? If you're going to pay me to go to school, then I'm into it. But even then, you're saying, yeah, if what you're saying is that a firefighter is equal to an EMT, then why is it that a paramedic and a firefighter wouldn't be equal to something like, I don't know, battalion chief pay or some kind of like uh, supervisory role or something along those lines? If that's not an automatic bridge, then what's the point? Why would you put yourself through nine months of anything if the only thing that you get out of it is a pay bump? The way fire department in FDMY sets the, the way it's set up is not only I, I'm still at a top pay medic, I'm still $20,000 short of a firefighter. <laughs> I mean, it's and again, we're not we said it before. I'm not disparaging anybody's job. I always say emergency service. We all have screws loose. They're just different screws. Of course. Like, yes, like absolutely. I, it's I, I couldn't say it any other way. I, Hi, you have can't we put met? me in a bulletproof vest. Right. Yeah. You can't put me in a bulletproof vest and send me into an emotionally disturbed house and have people shoot at me, right? There's just not enough money. Totally. Uh, I'm not going building. to a burning building. Absolutely not. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. You're not Bring them me. to it's me. my top two ways of dying. I, I do not want to die burning and I don't want to drown. Those are my two ways. Give me all the other six million ways. But and, literally and anything I'm, else. Anywhere else. Fire ants. But you burn somebody, which I have had 95% of the, of the body, you bring that person out to me. You take limbs off, you take vomit, you take this, you take that, you take a heart attack, you uh, an IV, you give me that and I am ready to shine. Like that right. is that, that is that what we gets can me treat. going. That we can fix. Where some people pass out. Yeah. You know, the sight of blood, They some people in this world mm-hmm. pass out by looking at it. us. Yeah, which, and it happens field. to some people. I, I right. will say like nothing... It, this is not a, a dig against the police or firefighters, but it is there's a little bit of schadenfreude that myself and I think a lot of people get when you like when we see blood and we're like, oh, it's blood. 
and then you'll see a copper firefighter just kind of go a little bit whiter in the face than they were yeah. a few minutes ago. There, it's that not disparaging, but it's a little fun. It's just it's a little fun jobs. Oh, it's it's fun, right? Yeah, it's just little, like, like as just, I'm hiding behind them when somebody's running. Yeah, at us no, it, ex- exactly. Sure like, exactly. Oh, when scared little, when you know, when there's when there's me. When there's like a working structure fire and firefighters looking like, oh, look at the medic sitting back in the ambulance. Fine. Make fun of me yeah. for that 100% yeah. of the time. You're absolutely correct. That you said, that when, when I start an IO in somebody and I see, you know, a police officer who's like, you know, like like alpha male built type type yeah. stuff. And they're just like, oh, I've used that? the drill like, before. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's that exact response. Hey, Mike, so, um, I just wanted to uh, touch on one other thing here. Um more more numbers and more stuff to just make people understand what what you guys are under right now um and this comes from uh, the uh, cssny site um and they do a lot of work with you know poverty and the the incomes of middle class people in the city um the federal poverty threshold in 2019 was twenty five thousand nine hundred and twenty six dollars um and you have rookie emts and trainee EMTs who are really close to that line, don't you? How, how oh, yeah, they justify this? I mean, if you ask me, you can't justify it, but there is a bean counter somewhere who can. Um, we're in the middle of contract negotiations right now, um, trying to get, and we know we're not going to get anywhere near it because there's patent bargaining. There's, you know, so you try and figure out ways to make a little extra breadcrumb here and there. But we do have a trainee title. Um, and those are people who come out of the high school, the fire department high school, and, you know, they get this thing. They're getting like a thirteen dollars or $14,000 increase simply because they were getting paid less than the state minimum wage. Like, this isn't even negotiation. This isn't even costing us anything. They had to comply with law and bring these trainee kids up to the $15 an hour level. Uh, at $35,000 a, uh, a year in New York City, I don't care what the statistical poverty rate is. Um, that's just a number. We do have pension costs in, you know, we have pensions. So we have to pay into our pension. That's a deduction. So that 35,000 gets cut by 10% to begin with. So you're already short $35,000. Then you got your taxes. Then you got all your other stuff you got to pay for. So we are dangerously close. Our first year EMTs are, are reaching out and they're struggling. If they're not living at home, if they're, you know, if, if they have a child, they are working either 70, 80 hour weeks or they're working the third job. Um, and, and EMS should be a primary job that, you know, somebody who, who is called a hero by the rest of the world. We have a, a parade being started for the, uh, you know, the heroic work of essential workers throughout the pandemic that the mayor uh, Bloomberg, I'm not de Blasio wants to start. Um, that's great. But, heroism and i think we talk about this offline heroism doesn't pay my landlord heroism doesn't pay my car note doesn't put food on the table like Either oh sorry parade. right you know sorry you're yeah. hungry but uh did you see that you saw me on tv you know like uh i i know you're about to kick me out and 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 i appreciate that but uh while you're kicking me out did you see me on the parade i look good right before i lost my house it, 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 was, it was really good um it's 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 a weird system that how a noble profession, um, something that is done by EMTs and paramedics every day, how it gets treated with such animosity when it comes to us fighting for pay. Um, 
And I don't think nobody, nobody gets into this looking to make a million dollars, but, but we do want to pay our rent. I wonder how much of that is actually like the public doesn't actually know what we do. Like for, for all of COVID, there's a whole lot of like the celebrate the essential worker and our paramedics and firefighters are saving our lives and like that kind of thing. But like, if there's a $20,000 disparity between uh, a firefighter and an EMT or a firefighter and a paramedic, is it outreach? Is it more of a, I guess it's more of like a sounding thing for for the unions to like get out to the public and be like, yeah, I'm your hero. I'm the one who went into, you know, a sick house when no one else would. By the way, I can't eat. Yeah. I don't think the public, and we were saying this before, I don't think the public realizes there is a disparity. Like I, I think if, if you ask into a person, they think we all make the same. And if they found out, they would be appalled. Um, so I think that's the first thing. I don't think there's enough public pressure because the city doesn't negotiate based on public pressure or press or, you know, in, in New York City, there's 325,000 city workers. So it's a pattern, right? They're going to offer 10% this round or 10% that round. We got 4,500 people. If they give us 20%, well, that still leaves 325,000 other people who are going to say, well, how come we can't get 20%? And everybody has. So I understand the city's conundrum there. You know, find me a city worker who doesn't think they're underpaid. Now, being being an EMT and paramedic, my guys are worse simply because I'm the vice president of 2507. And I do understand that. But um, there is certain times in history that wage adjustments can be done. And for certain reasons, it's happened before with PD starting salary. It's happened before with teachers. When, when you're at a critical juncture of your system collapsing, um, and, th- and that's where we're at. This, this system cannot sustain this turnover rate. We're pumping out 500 ENTs a year. That's how many we're training. We're not keeping them. That's oh, why would the you? only And find me another city agency that's hiring 500 or, or we'll call it a percentage, right? 10% of our workforce. They're hiring 10% of the workforce and adding to it 10% every year, every year, but their numbers aren't going up. And in three years, how many of those EMTs will still be with you? In three years, maybe 40%, 50%. That, that's about the statistics. 50% have, will be gone. Have you that's ever, the same turnover rate as Walmart. Yeah. Mike, have you ever... How, what percentage of your membership actually gets to pensionable age where they retire out? Of my membership? So you have to... Right now, I have of my four thousand people, I got about a hundred and fifty who are at the twenty-five year mark. So, those who stay in the EMT paramedic level is actually not that they don't stay for that long. It's it's funny you would say. So, this was was uh, yeah, right. It just so happens that it's right here. I have 103 EMTs that have 25 years plus, and I have 32 medics that have 25 years plus. That kind of and sounds have, more like a lottery rather right, than a pension. Right. Then now there are people who go to the lieutenant's ranks, um, you know, so they wouldn't be considered in those numbers. Those who just want to be an EMT or paramedic, that's how many people got there. That's now I know the numbers, if you put it to a firefighter, is tremendously different. They do not have 
a, a, a turnover rate problem. They lose their people to lieutenant. They lose their people to captain. That's where they nobody leaves a, a firefighter job unless they get fired or unless they have to go to another part of the country, like, you know, their, their, their wife or somebody gets a $200,000 a year job working for the railroads. Um, but it's the greatest. Yeah. It's, it's the, or they leave when they absolutely, or they leave when they absolutely have to because of age. Right. They age out. If you see it on the the Instagram, the, the pages, they're always congratulating a guy from New York city who had 32 years as a firefighter and he's leaving. It's his last tour. Um, you don't see that in EMS. So they have to force people out. I believe it's 65. Okay. Um, I think 65 is their age out. So we will hire, we just retired a, a female today or yesterday, 75 years old. Wow. We've hired people 65 years old and put them through the academy. Yes. Wow. We have no age girl. limit and no age, uh, you know, we'll take you. You got a pulse? Come wow. on. Well, and that speaks to the bigger problem that we've talked about with staffing and actually getting people to get on and stay on the road. So before we get out of here, Mike, I just want to, uh, how has coronavirus, it's affected everybody. Um, we talked a little bit off air uh, with people taking sick leave and things like that. So just cover that a little bit, talk about how the pandemic affected your staffing, your people, um, and what you guys tried to do to, I guess, mitigate or solve those problems. So at, at our height, I think it was 25% of our workforce was out sick. Um, we didn't know if they were positive because you remember on the March, April, if you just had the symptoms, there wasn't right, testing enough. Well. Right. So our, our high point was about 25%. Um, and now here we are uh, a little over a year later, we have a good segment of the population who are still showing signs and symptoms, whether they be respiratory, whether they be cardiac. So those more serious cases have, have still uh, been around. And then there's the PTSD that is starting to, to really show. Um, we've, we've, we've worked extensively to try and get different mental health programs. Um, there is a, uh, a fund that I'm actually a board of directors of called the uh, EMS FDNY Help Fund. And that was set up a bunch of years ago to help EMTs and paramedics during catastrophic events. So that fund has been used to, to try and help members um, you know, it's a nonprofit, it's a 5013C. And if somebody has been off payroll or going through a significant event, we, we, we step in and we help them out. So there's been that. And then there's also, um, you watch the sick leave now has kind of stayed in, in a higher than normal level for two reasons. One, the system, it used to be anybody in EMS, you didn't really use your sick time for when you were sick. You know, if you had a little bit of the sniffles, uh, you showed up to work and then right, you use you your had, sick time for vacation. Correct. Or <laughs> if you, you know, you, you went out the night before and somehow we all know that that sometimes happens, not that it's supposed to, but you know, it, it happens. Certainly no one on this call has ever, no has one ever, ever that happened. Like ever. That. No, I, I, no, of course anytime ever, I've ever been sick, very, I've been legitimately sick. Of course. <laughs> very um, innocent angels. All of us. Correct. Doctors note. That's what they call me. And a doctor's note, Brian. Right. And that's the thing. You need a doctor's note and all that stuff. So now they're forcing you if you have a 99 fever, you must go out, right? There's all these symptom checks because of COVID. So naturally your sick leave is going to rise. And then there's the people who they've been beaten down so much that, you know what? My med- the city is showing they don't care about you by their pay, by the way they're beating you down, by making you forced overtime, by not giving you breaks, by monitoring your bathroom usage, 
Um, that's the sort of, right. That's the sort of stuff that why, why am I going to come to work? If I just am not in the mood today, why come this job after the many people who have passed because of COVID, this job will replace you the second you die. So why am I going to kill myself for the job? Right. You know, I've been just training a year. Well, you're easily replaced. That's, 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 also, that's also become sort of a meme now that the world is starting to open back up where, you know, like, well, how come people aren't working minimum wage jobs? And a lot of people are like, because I, why would I do that? Like right. life is short and it's finite. Why would I go through those things? Um, so Mike, thanks again for coming on to the show. There's going to be a second part of this uh, that we're about to do right now, frankly. Um, you guys can go over to the Glam Podcast site and hear more about that. We're going to have Mike talk with Anna. Uh, we're going to go a little bit more in depth on some of the labor stuff and some of the uh, different women's issues that uh, we're not very good at addressing and Anna's better at addressing than we are. So uh, Just because I have the different equipment, it's fine. <laughs> so we're going to throw it over to her and you can catch uh, this half of the interview on the Glam Podcast. Go get him, Anna.